This is the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan, where we interview local real estate investors and professionals to go over tips, tricks, and investing strategies to help you learn about the business and to enable you to achieve your financial goals. And now, welcome to the show. What's going on, everyone? And welcome to episode 229 of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. In this episode, we have Casey Franchini, a real estate investor and stay-at-home mom who holds a rental portfolio of cash-flowing properties in Memphis, Tennessee. Casey started her real estate investing journey by saving for her first down payment by selling personalized stuffed animals on Facebook groups and on Etsy in between her toddler's naps. And she preaches that investing is possible for anyone. In this episode, we'll be talking about how to start investing in real estate and how to get started despite all the fears of not knowing what you don't know. So if you're a new real estate investor and you want to start investing but don't know where to start, then you need to listen to this episode. If you enjoy this podcast, do me a quick favor and leave a review on the Apple Podcast app. The more reviews we get, the more the show will grow, which will help us do more cool stuff. This real estate market is also still incredibly hot. So if you need a hard money loan for your fix and flip projects, or if you're looking for a 30-year fixed loan for your rental properties with rates as low as 4%, then you can contact me at sean at everythingrei.com. That's S-E-A-N at everythingrei.com. Let me know that you're a podcast listener and I'll give you a discount on our processing fees. And now onto the show. All right, Casey, thank you so much for being on the show today. Go ahead and introduce yourself and let's know who you are and tell us what you do. Sure. Thanks so much for having me on. I am really excited, Sean. So let me start off by saying my name is Casey at Brick by Brick Wealth and I started um, investing in real estate Gosh, well, I started in real estate in 2007. It was such a bad time. It was right before the market crash. And I was in my early 20s. And I um, I looked really young and I started off as a real estate agent. So it was really hard for me to get listings, you know, because in living in Orange County, housing prices were seven, eight hundred thousand. And it was hard for me to get a 60, 60 year old to let me list their house. And I looked like I was 18. So that was a struggle for me. But I did find my niche um, finding flips for investors. And that's what really um, started my love for investing in rental properties and what got me motivated to want to look into rentals. Um, but again, living in California and at the time when social media kind of had just started, in my opinion, um, I know there was barely Facebook <laughs> and, you know, investing out of state kind of was not a thing at all. And I knew nobody that owned a rental properties unless it was by accident, you know, like they sold their condo and bought a house and turned their condo into a rental. So I didn't have anyone to ask for experience on um, to buy rental properties, but I knew I wanted to do it. So it wasn't until we moved to Memphis in 2013 that I just was floored by the housing prices. And I knew that they were cheap in Memphis before I moved there. I knew that they were much cheaper all over the country. But um, again, investing out of state at that time was not a figment of anyone's imagination that I even knew of. So um, when we moved to Memphis, I was really um, excited at the opportunities. And I would see, you know, $10,000 houses. And I thought, oh my God, I'm going to be so rich. Like I'm just going to buy every single house on the block. This is going to be like Monopoly. And this is it. You know, I told my husband Blake, I'm like, oh my God, these houses, we're going to buy them all. And then I went to them and I was like, oh, no, I don't want this $10,000 $10, house. It's held up with sticks, you know? So, um, we started looking at, you know, regular rental properties, um, B-class neighborhoods. And that's when I said, okay, it's not always, you know, it's, it's not always the most ideal situation to buy a super low-end property because with that lower ticket price, sounds appealing, the cash flow numbers look great on paper, 
but you're getting low quality tenants, you're getting, you know, people that don't pay and low credit scores, and you might have to evict them. And um, I just wanted something passive, truly passive, that was easy. I didn't want another job for myself. When we moved here, I had a two year old and a three week old, and I knew nobody. And I, I really just wanted second, a second income that didn't require a lot of effort on my part. So um, flipping properties wasn't something I wanted to do, even though I kind of knew how to do it because I worked with other investors. I just didn't want the work. So we started buying single family rentals in really nice neighborhoods. Um, we have some in C-class neighborhoods too, and just to make it peace of mind. And I really don't spend a lot of time managing them now. And that's kind of our strategy. That's awesome. Can you give us an example of a deal that you've done in the past? Sure. So I guess the first house we ever did um, was in a nice neighborhood in East Memphis. Um, and it's like a working class sort of neighborhood, um, fa young families or young professionals. It's kind of close to downtown. So it's a good area, um, low, low to no crime, very low crime. And we bought the house for 92000 or something like that. And we put some work into it. We do rehab all of our own properties. And so we would go over there after my husband got off of work and on the weekends and we would fix it up. And we did things then that we wouldn't do now, like scrape ceilings. Like I would not scrape the popcorn off the ceilings in a rental house now, um, unless it was an A-class neighborhood, of course, and that was the norm. But there are little things like that that we did. We smoothed out the walls because the texture wasn't right. So we did a little bit above and beyond. But we um, we did fix it up. Um, we painted the cabinets and we fin we finished the floors and things like that. And we rented it out um, to a nice couple. And at the time, the rent was I think ten fifty, and um, and that was two thousand sixteen. And now the rent is eleven fifty. 1125. Um, but the market rent is 1400. So when she moves out, we will definitely increase the rent a few hundred bucks. And that's just in a short period of time. So the house makes us good money. The loan is just gets paid down um, very quickly because the tenant's basically the one making the mortgage payment. So when you just hop onto your mortgage account and, and you, you know, you look at how much you owe, you're like, whoa, look how much has been paid off. You know, I only owe $40,000 left on this house. Holy cow. You know, that's going to be paid off in no time. And then you get excited thinking that most of your tenant's rent check is going to be going into your pocket instead of just half, because usually about half goes to the mortgage company. Mm -hmm. And how did you get started in the first place? Like, were you working full time while being able to buy properties or did you have to do something to you know, pay for down payments? So we moved here in 2013, um, like I said, and we didn't know anybody. We bought a fixer. It was our first house we ever owned because we never were able to afford anything in California. And we put a lot of money into this house and we spent a lot to, to put down for a down payment on it. So we didn't really have anything at the time to put down for a house. And I don't want to let that stop me, but my husband's basically like, Casey, if you want to buy a rental, I'm all in for it. Let's do it. But you have to figure out how to make a down payment. You know, it's going to take us a while to save that up because we have all these repairs to do on this, on, in this house we bought, just bought. So I was like, okay, well, what can I do? Because I have a ba brand new baby and a two-year-old. I don't want to go get a job. Um, so what can I do? And I thought, well, what, what do I like to do? What hobby can I turn into? So I started selling handmade things on Etsy. I started an Etsy shop just out of thin air. Never got a coach or anything how to do it. Just opened it up, started selling um, handmade personalized items on local Facebook groups and Etsy. And it was about a year and a half later um, that I probably had about 20, 25,000 saved from that. And I used that for the down payment for our first property. And 
just from that, it, you know, it kind of snowballed. So all, you know, we were able to save more money faster because we were making an extra $500 a month positive cash flow from a tenant. And I managed my own properties. So, you know, that was an extra like six grand a year. So that helps you save up for your next down payment that much quicker. And that's how we got started um, saving up for our first one and, and affording it. That's amazing. Like, how are you able to sell so much on Etsy? Like, what were you selling? So I was selling. Um, so I don't know if you guys are, you know, everyone that's listening is familiar with crickets or silhouettes, the die cutting machines. You'll see people make their own cups and tumblers and they make bridesmaid shirts, birthday shirts. You know what I mean? You've seen them like the vinyl, iron on vinyl. So I had a die cutting machine and I would make um, like wedding bridesmaid hangers. I would make bachelorette shirts. I would make um, wedding presents. Um, I built myself um, an etching machine so I could etch metal and glass. And I would do personalized glassware and um, like copper Moscow mule mugs. I would etch those for like wedding gifts. And then I would do baby onesies and, and all that. stuff. So anything I can make with my die cutting cricket machine, I would make and sell on Etsy and local Facebook groups, especially for holidays. I would buy these like items, these little bunny rabbits at the Dollar Tree. They're a dollar, obviously. And I would get my glitter vinyl and I would put the little kids names on the bellies and the, the year on the foot. And I would sell them for like five to seven dollars. And people would buy for like stuffers for Easter baskets and people would buy 10 of those at a time and they'd have them for their, you know, grandmas would buy them for all their grandkids. And, and so, you know, holidays were big and that's kind of how it happened. And a lot of porch pickups selling stuff locally as well as on Etsy. And it just, um, I started using the hashtag strategy on Instagram, even though that was, I was very new with that. Um, and just kind of a little bit by little bit. And I only really spent a couple days in my office um, doing this and maybe a few hours during nap times or at night. So are you still doing that? I mean, it seems like a pretty good source of I income. I finally stopped doing it. Um, I know it was pretty good. But, you know, I would also make like mailbox decals with the addresses and things. And, you know, that stuff takes time. And uh, we started buying more and more rental properties. And I'm like, yeah, I don't really have to do this anymore. You know, we had five properties and I make a full-time income now from my five properties. So I didn't really need to work hard for, you know, 10 bucks. So, um I just kind of stopped it. I turned it off at um, in 2020. I finally, it, it's it's on vacation mode <laughs> just in case I want to come back to it or my daughter wants to, but it's a five-star shop, but it's on vac permanent vacation mode. And I have turned my crafting room now into a real estate room. And um, now I kind of coach other people on how to start um, investing in rental property. So that's kind of my new passion and, and what I'm doing now. That's so interesting. So like my girlfriend is in a, I guess she did something very similar to you. You know, she was traveling around the world for two years and making passive income by, you know, uh, selling digital products on Etsy. So she'd make templates for like, you know, Microsoft Word or Photoshop and then sell those for like $5 and then just create more and more templates and sell more and more product. Um, but yeah, a few years ago, she started getting into real estate investing with me. We started buying more rental properties and now she doesn't really touch her Etsy stuff or her like Amazon FBA stuff anymore. Right. Um, yeah. I looked into yeah. Amazon FBA too. My sister was doing that. And it's like, it, that's just a whole other ball game. That's it's like, whew, I didn't want to get into that. I thought about it. I, I did a lot of research <laughs> and I, just, I was like, no, <laughs> that's not for yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah. Some people can make it work really well. I, yeah. I tried selling like selfie sticks on it and it didn't really work out too well for me. So <laughs> real estate was where it's at. And plus there's like bigger numbers. So you get more money if you do it right. Well, it's nice because what I love about real estate versus other things is if you do it the right way and you do buy, you know, rental properties for buy and hold long term, once you do the initial hard work of getting the property, putting the fixing it up, putting the tenant in place, after that, as long as you put in a good tenant, 
your business is on autopilot. You don't hear from your tenants unless there's a major issue. And if you fix up your property right away, you know, in the beginning, there aren't going to be any issues. I hardly hear from any of my tenants. We fix up our properties nice with quality materials, quality workmanship. We don't cut corners. I don't buy flips because they are terrible, terribly done um, 99% of the time. So I wouldn't recommend anyone to buy flips um, unless you know who the flipper is. There are some, I, know, I do know one good flipper. Um, near me. But, um, you know, you got to know how to understand what, if the work has been done quality wise. But as long as you have all that stuff done, then you won't hear from your tenants and you will just be depositing the rent checks every month and making literally passive income. And you might hear from them once in a while if, you know, maybe there's a pipe leak or, uh, you know, outlet stops working, but that's so minor. It's so minor. Um, it's so worth it because I don't have to go get a job and I don't have this like mom guilt that I was having before of, you know, well, I'm, you know, I know I'm a mom, but I also went to college and had a degree. So what am I contributing to the family? You know, I don't want to just be a mom and not to put any moms down. I'm a mom of three kids, but I needed more in my life. I needed some other validation and I wanted financial validation because I'm a, I'm a person just like everybody else. I went to school for all those years. I went to college and then just to have it basically thrown down the drain to just be a stay-at-home mom just kind of sucked. So I needed something more and rental properties gave me that. And I get the best of both worlds. I get to stay home with my kids. I get to go to the class parties. I get to be room mom. I get to go to every soccer, or not soccer, every baseball practice and baseball game, you know, with my son and all of my daughter's gymnastics stuff I get to go to and other moms, you know, have their grandmas drop off or whatever. And I get to do that. And I get to make a second income from just a few rental properties. So to me, it's all worth it. And yes, we manage our own and it's really not that much work. I hardly hear from any of my tenants all year. Would you say like the other moms in your like your kids baseball group are they like kind of jealous that you know you're always able to go out and they're like what, what does she do why is she able to go out all the time? So the baseball moms, I don't know what it is, but that I don't know what they're all really wealthy. All these these baseball mom families, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like whoa, you know, uh, it's crazy. This one mom um, in our baseball team, they own four firehouse sandwich restaurants. It's like okay, you know, so. That's the kind of crowd that's in the baseball group. But like my local, my local friend, my mom group that I have, they, I would say they are jealous. Um, they don't understand, you know, my one friend jokes, I'm just going to get rich through rental properties, ha ha ha, because she's works, she's a nurse and, you know, she's works weekends and she doesn't get to go to any birthday parties and she misses out a lot of family events because she's working and they have credit card debt. Um, but yet they go to trips to Disney World. It's like, well, you know, um, I hope she doesn't listen to me saying this, but, <laughs> you know, um, she is jealous. And I say, yeah, you can get rich through rental properties. It's not like a pie in the sky thing. And I told you a hundred times, I'll show you how to do it, you know, but um so people just not for them and they just don't want to or they don't see the light. And that's fine. Um, but and that's really why one reason why I started with my Instagram account, Brick by Brick Wealth, because I the freedom that I had from rental properties, like I see all my friends working so hard and all of their money, they go gets put in a savings account or they end up spending it and they're not doing anything with it and they have no plan to retire. Like they think they're just gonna work forever or then live on social security. But what they're missing out on, besides the fact that, yeah, I make money every month, but I'm also buying an appreciating asset that is increasing my net worth like well over a million dollars. And I've never told them that because they'd probably, you know, fall out of their chair. So I got to be quiet with some things. But um, 
it's just, it's, they are jealous and I want to help them and that's, and they don't want to be helped. And so that's why I came to Instagram because there are a lot of other people that do see the light and do see the value in, in buying just a few rental properties and how much that can change their lives. So for those people that, you know, do want the help, I'm there to help them um, because some of my friends just, you know, they're cool with what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, from the people that have reached out to you or, you know, maybe even someone that you know locally uh, and they want to get into it, what has been, I guess, their biggest concern with jumping into real estate investing or starting in the first place? Um, most people are, it's two things. They don't have enough money or if they have money, you know, for down payment and all that, the reserves and the, <clears throat> all those, <clears throat> all the initial costs, they are afraid to fail because it is a risk. And whereas it's less risky to me since I've been in the industry since 2007, um, I, I feel like I know what I was doing and I knew what I was doing from the moment I started. Most people don't, most people don't even own their own house and they're renting. Um, most of my students live in California, as a matter of fact, and that's where I'm from, just so happens. Um, but likely because there would be a never, there would never be a thought in their mind they would ever buy a rental in California. Like, nope, not going to happen. So they have to look out of state. So imagine not even owning your own property, possibly still living with your parents, you know, even in your 30s, because that's the pricing in California or even other places. And you have this money, you may have a good job, you make good money, and you want to invest. But how do you do that? You can't do it near you. So you have to what, close your eyes and blindly pick a property in some other random state. I mean, think about how scary that sounds. That's a huge risk. It's, it's scary because you don't know what you're doing. You have no idea um, how to buy a property out of state. What are the risks involved? How do you know if you're you know, getting a good deal? How do you know if your tenants are going to be good tenants? How do you know if it's even going to be worth the rent you're thinking it's going to be worth? Um, what if you buy a property that needs rehab and you over rehab it and now you're out an extra $10,000 that you don't have? There's just so many unknowns, so many things that could go wrong. And that's what holds people back because they just don't know. So then what's the solution? Just like educating yourself to figure it out? Yeah, education, um, talking to people that have done it before, getting their feedback, you know, working with a mentor, someone who can kind of almost guarantee your success and walk you through it and hold your hand. Um, now, the first time, so the first time I bought my rental property, even though I knew what I was doing, quote, because I had bought and sold houses before and I helped with flips, it just is a bit different when it's your own money. It's a bit different, you know, when you're buying a rental property that you've never bought a rental before and it is your own money. So we, the guy that helped us um, owned over 20 rental houses. And I reached out to him and said, hey, I know you own all these houses. Will you help me find my first one? Will you help basically um, tell me that what I'm doing is right or wrong? I want some sort of someone with experience validating my decisions before I put $25,000 down on a property and spend six to seven fixing up a light rehab. <laughs> you know, like I want to make sure that I'm not going to be stuck with a property that's not going to rent out. Um, for what I'm assuming. So he's like, sure. And he was a real estate agent also. Um, well, his wife was. And he kind of did the contracting and managed their rental properties. So he took me around and he showed me everything. And he, you know, when it came time to put in the offer and stuff, I was nickel and diming the sellers over a couple grand, you know, and he's like, Casey, stop that, you know, get over yourself, just buy the property. So what? It's an extra $2,000. Don't lose this good deal. Don't lose this great property over $2,000. Like that is chump change in the scheme of things. You won't even remember this $2,000 last year. Just 
sign the counter offer and move on and get this great rental house. So it's that kind of guidance that you you sometimes need the push to be like, just do it already. It's a good deal. You know, stop letting fear get the best of you. And, you know, so having someone that can help you validate decisions and make the right choices and just push you along to make progress, I feel like is is pretty important when you're just starting out because there's a lot of humps and hurdles that you might just say, forget this, just give up, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, your network is super important because it can guide you, it can give you resources. In this example, uh, like, why would this guy spend the time to help you out? Like, how did you know him? And Well, his his wife was the realtor, so even though she, so they would get commission, you know, from the, um, from me being the buyer. So mm. that was kind of the incentive for that, but he went above and beyond. He drove me by all of his properties that he owned in the area. He told me when he bought them, how much he bought them for, how much he makes, what kind of repairs he does. And he really went above and beyond and he helped us with our first couple. And, um, even for that. So I had, like I said, I have my real estate license in California. So I was able to get, I'm, I am able to get referral fees on my own properties that I buy, but I didn't ask that of them um, because I really valued all of the, the opinions and the hard work that they were giving me. I didn't want to ask for a cut of their commission. So it wasn't until I started asking like on the fourth property um, that they're like, yeah, we don't want to do that. Um, well, they did. They did it. And then they said, we, will, we don't want to do it again because these houses are cheap. You know, they're under 100,000. So when you give someone 20 percent of your 3 percent, you know, it kind of cuts into it a lot, especially when the wife was also selling high end properties in the city, too. So it wasn't it started not being worth it to them to then help me out, plus give me some commission. So I said, OK, thanks. Bye. You know, so then I moved on. But they it, they definitely helped me out a lot in the beginning. And if it wasn't for them, I, I don't know if I would have actually bought something, even though I had the experience. I just didn't have anyone with that exact rental experience doing exactly what I wanted to do to push me to say, yes, do it. Yeah. I mean, we do the same thing where we work with a team of agents out of state and we're licensed as well. Um, I, I do referrals all the time for my friends, especially up here in the Bay Area. But yeah. Uh, out of state, it's like, yeah, they don't make that much per deal. And they're getting us super discounted properties. Just let them have a commission and just send yeah. us more deals. Okay exactly. It. So, yeah. I mean, unless it's a certain price, like the agent that I started working with now, um, I haven't started with a new agent. I had another agent after that. Um, and then now I have a new agent because I'm a bit, um, I require a bit of work, let's say, because, you know, uh, it's like customer service. I feel like I provide good customer service to people like to my students and that sort of thing. And I expect customer service. And I know I've been an agent and I know how they are. Here's your, here, here you are, sign up on the MLS search and then see you later. Let me know when you find a property. Well, in today's market, that doesn't fly. You know, you're never going to find a property. Well, that's not true. You will, but uh, I want an agent who's going to work a little harder for me. So when those people aren't willing to do that, go the extra mile and call on pendings and contingents for me and stuff like that. It's like, okay, see you later. I, I can find somebody else who will. So, um, but the lady that I have now, um, she set me up on a search and she actually, their, their real estate office is heavily, um, is a real heavy investment, um, realtor firm. So I'm happy to be starting to work with them. So it is true. Like the team is super important. And, uh, once you can find a good team, now I wouldn't say find the team, then start because you're never going to find a perfect team and then you're never going to start. So just start and then find the team and perfect your team and refine your team, you know, as it goes on, life goes on. Like I'm on my third or fourth real estate agent, you know, and that's okay. So. 
Yeah. So is that how you're finding most of your deals now? Are they all just like deals that are on the MLS? They are. I'm on, the I'm on, I, they are on the MLS. They are. And I honestly, like I'm on wholesaler lists. Um, I know the good wholesalers in the area. I know the, the dime a dozen ones that just took a course and now want to be a wholesaler and don't know what they're doing. Like I know who they are too. So um, I am on the wholesaler list, but I, we're doing a huge rehab in our house right now. Like I say, we're redoing our kitchen, but it's like the whole downstairs. It's the whole we're redoing flooring, painting, uh, I mean, new doors. It's uh, hard to live in it with three small children and redo your whole house, basically. So I'm not wanting to take on any uh, wholesale deals, which are basically bird deals, which are basically full gut jobs. I don't, I just, we do, we do the work ourselves and it's just too much for me right now. So I'm looking for deals that are more turnkey in the fact that they just need light rehab. And I will give the extra dollars for the time back to not have to fix them up. I'm in, I'm in it for the long term. And not everything is about how much equity can I make right off the bat right now. I mean, everyone's got their own strategies. And that's cool for some people. Um, but that doesn't mean that any other person's method is wrong or bad. Yeah, there's better ways to do things that make you more money. But that doesn't mean that that's the only way. So we like to buy properties from the MLS. And I have a little few couple tricks up my sleeve that I use to get the deals. And it works for me. It works for my students. We don't have to cold call. We don't have to, you know, go off market all the time. We're still finding deals on the MLS and that don't need a lot of work. And then you can put a 10 in them right away and start cash flowing sooner than, than waiting. So that's kind of what we do. So you guys are physically doing the contracting work yourselves. Yeah. Yeah. You should see our garage. Wow. Doesn't, it doesn't fit any cars. I'll tell you, we have every tool known to man. <laughs> How did you even get into that? Because look, look I, I flipped houses before, right? And when I see my contractors working on their projects, I'm like, I don't want to do that. It's like I so know. crazy. There's so much work to do and so many tools, like you said. I know. Um, I, I started doing some small things around the house and I'm like, this is, this is pain. <laughs> I want to like hire this out. I know. I know. Honestly, like this kitchen like is taking a toll on us right now. So I told Blake, my husband, I'm like, okay, I know we're looking for another house, but we are not getting a fixer because I... I'm not spending, you know, nights and weekends at another house right now. I just can't do it. But um, it is a lot of work and you have to be a special person to do it. And, you know, we started learning on YouTube. Um, we lived in California. The first house my husband and I lived in was his grandpa's house. And that house looked like a 19, like 70s Vegas palace. Everything was gold and black and red. And even like the back side of the bathroom door, you know, the fuzzy soft side of Velcro. The whole backside of the door was covered in this black soft Velcro stuff. I'm like, what is the point of that? You know, I mean, gold toilets and things. I, I was like, this guy was nuts. So <clears throat> we rehabbed that house, you know, and then we moved to Memphis and we uh, rehabbed ours. My mother-in-law bought a house down the street. We did that entire house before she moved here. And, uh, and then we started doing our own house. And it's just, you know, one YouTube video at a time teaches you how to do stuff. And my husband, I will say he does most of the stuff. Um, I like to be the supervisor. I help, but I like to be the supervisor in the chair with the beer going, good job, you know, <laughs> but, um, we do a lot ourselves and he is great. He is amazing at it. I told him he should get his contractor's license and kind of do other jobs around town because customer service is what's lacking out, out here. Probably most places, you know, you, you call for a contract, you try and get a bid, they show up and then they never get back to you with their quote. It's like, why can't they just say, I don't want to do the job? Why do you have to call them four times and then realize they're ghosting you? 
So um, I always feel like customer service is always a thing that's lacking out here, uh, at least in Memphis. I do miss the good customer service I felt like I got in California. But yeah, so we do it all ourselves. It's a lot of work, um, but it is very rewarding. And the dollar saved is ridiculous. Like even on this kitchen we're doing and our downstairs, we were quoted 60000 for just the kitchen. And that was before we decided to change floorings and all this stuff. Um, and we uh, we changed windows and we took brick out and con- reconfigured an exterior window and things like that, which we decided to do later on. So it's probably $80,000 rehab that we're doing in our house right now. And we're probably going to get it done for about 30 to 40, 30, 30. We got cabinets for 14 and we, we're doing flooring right now, which is a pain. Um So it's like, okay, yeah, it's six months of, you know, uh, hard work, um, but we're going to save $40,000. So, you know, it's like the money is money driven. That's why we do it ourselves. So we save so much money. Right. How how long do you think it would take to like renovate a traditional rental property? Like one of your rentals that you- Like if it was a full gut job? Well, I don't know. Have you done a full gut job on one of your rentals before? Um, Close to it. We've done close to it. Um, Not- completely full. We did leave the bathroom. Um, we cleaned okay. it up, but we have done kitchens, complete kitchens. Yeah. And how long does that take you guys? Three to four months. And that's wow. after, that's after working on weekends. Yeah. And then I also yeah. do all the lawn mowing. So I load up, um, my car with a lawnmower and a leaf a professional leaf blower and weed whacker and all my stuff. And, you know, I, I get on my farmer pants and I'm out there doing the lawn. That's crazy. <laughs> Every other week. <laughs> And then, you know, so then my kids come, you know, uh, well, now they're, well, two of them are in school. So before when they were not in school and even my, I have a three-year-old now, they come too. they come to the, to the houses and <clears throat> we pack them their snack, their snack packs with snacks and activities and wh- whether we're doing inside or outside work, they're either outside or inside on the opposite. You know, if we're d- doing floors or cutting drywall out or whatever, they're not going to be inside with the dust, they're outside. And then if it's, you know, a hundred degree humid day in Memphis then they're outside playing, but they come too. Yep. Full family event to rehab a house. <laughs> that's cool. I hope you're like filming all that stuff and posting on your Instagram because you know, that stuff is like really I know. interesting. I do pieces, but <clears throat> I did try and um, film me refinishing kitchen cabinets. I'm just not good at, at filming this stuff. I tried. I'm like, this looks terrible. So I didn't end up posting it. <laughs> do you know, like before the time lapse and then the after? Like, I know oh. the time lapse. How do they do that? Like I know the button, but does it really sit there for, because it could take me four hours, <laughs> you know, so. Yeah, I think they do that. Or maybe like they film for like me 20 minutes, stop it, and then film for the last 20 minutes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's the reason why I want, like, that's one of the reasons why my girlfriend and I want to do this stuff because we grew up not knowing anything about home remodeling and we just want to figure it out. Uh, and we think it'll be some, for some very good visual content. It's definitely, it's definitely worth the experience. Um, and now, I mean, I'm the go-to person of all my mom friends. Like, Casey, my refrigerator is not working. Casey, this isn't working. And so, I mean, you'll find me over there putting on, I got an extra doorknob. If yours isn't locking, let me go fix your, you know, put on a new doorknob for you. Or let me fix your, you know, this is what's wrong with your refrigerator. The seal isn't working. Or, I mean, <laughs> I'm just like, you know, it's kind of cool. Like, I feel useful. You know, I can fix problems. And everyone's trying to to get my husband to go fix all their things all the time. And I'm like, well, he's wow. got to finish with the list at our house first. And that'll be about 10 years. <laughs> so that's the power of YouTube. Yeah, yeah, so exactly. Much. You do. You learn a lot. Nice. So when you're buying these properties, like what are you doing to fund them? So we're very risk averse. Um, and we are traditional, 20% down, um, buy it in your own name sort of people. 
And that's what we do. And, you know, you think, oh, well, you're going to not qualify for properties the more you buy. But every time we buy one, we just seem to magically qualify because, you know, as long as your property is on your tax return and you're showing income, then the lender is going to now count that as part of your income. So if you buy a house every year, you're going to keep qualifying for more properties. And that's even, you know, even if you buy them under your own name, you know, the rules, you know, 10 per person, 10 per qualifying income. So technically I don't have a real job, so I don't qualify for any rental properties. So they're both in our names because I don't qualify for any anyway. So why not? So we have the five, uh, we'll have six houses, you know, the one we live in. And um, so we'll tap out soon with what we can, you know, get loans on regular government loans, but a lot of our properties, well, I don't know, two or three of them, we only owe 30 to $40,000. So, on each of those. So it's going to be, it'll be real soon here where we can just pay those off and then we can just go get more loans, you know? So people worry about, oh, I got to put 10 in my name, 10 in my wife's name or whatever. And it's like, don't really, because by the time I feel like, I know, I know you own many, but it's like, by the time you get to a certain point, you can just start paying cash for your houses and leave it at that. Or you can just pay off houses and get more loans, especially when they're on the lower end. You know, when you get under $200,000 purchase price, your loans aren't going to be you'll be able to pay them off in a few years, you know, in a few years. So you can just go get more loans than after that. Yeah. I mean, uh, I had the same thought in my head, right? Like, oh, after 10, I'm going to be capped and I can't get more loans. Right. The initial strategy that I was going to do was to just take a big like cash out refinance of my primary residence here. Mm-hmm. Like this home here is worth like $1.2 million. It's crazy. Yeah. And then I could just pay off almost all of my rental properties. And then that frees me up to get, you know, nine more loans. Um, Quick plug here, you know, I do work for a hard money lending company and yeah. we do this a lot of times for a lot of investors who have like these giant portfolios, 20, 30 doors, and then past 10, they can't get conventional financing or they're like entrepreneurs. So they don't have income to show right. anyway, right? Kind of like yourself. Yeah. So they couldn't qualify for conventional financing. And uh, our loan program now enables them to get these 30-year fixed loans at like 4% or 4.5%. So instead of getting like seven or eight percent loan from a private money lender to then buy their rentals, they just use us. So yeah. that's been really you, cool. To you be able still to need the LLC up. to do that, and they're still no, commercial. You can buy it under you can buy it under your personal name. Um, it's like a debt service coverage ratio. That's like the main qualifier. So mm-hmm. as long as the property cash flows, um, you can do the loan. Awesome. But again, it's for people who like have too many properties and can't qualify anymore. So yeah, when you guys get to that point, you know, we can help you guys out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, we're looking now to, um, you know, short-term rentals are huge, um, especially now that people can work from home. People are not wanting to, um, well, a lot of things are changing right now with this whole uh, work from home thing. And we're now looking to buy a lake home in Arkansas, which is out of state, but it's, so it's three hours away from us, but it's a nice lake area. It's Hot Springs, Arkansas. And so we're looking to buy a lake home there, but I, I'm a little bit of a baby that I want it all in the lake, lake front, you know, just like you would assume a beach house is on the beach. And they're kind of pricey, you know, um, $600,000 sort of deal, which is way more than my house, you know, but it's like, if I can find them and it's going to give me, you know, gross 80 to a hundred thousand a year, well, that's way better than me buying five more single family rental houses, you know? Um, so we're looking into that and, you know, you can't forget those of you out there that are listening that want to buy a short-term rental, you have to furnish that place. And that's something you're going to have to consider, you know, at least, you know, 8,000 minimum for a small place or up to 20 for a regular house. I mean, you need everything. I mean, every house has a kitchen and bathroom. So the only thing extra if it's a bigger house is more bedroom stuff <laughs> if you have more yeah. rooms otherwise it's all the same stuff so um 
So we're looking at buying a short-term rental out there, um, plus more rentals in um, in Memphis. But the thing with the short-term or with the long-term rental is, um, the, I mean, the Airbnb that we want to do, it's priced high, right? So I at first thought we're not going to qualify for this loan, like based on our income. And um, magically we are now, but we almost weren't. So I, before this tax return season, so I went and talked to some hard money lenders, um, like, you know, this, this, the private money that would do the 30 year long-term loans. And once I realized how competitive they are now, you know, like, like such as yourself with regular conventional lenders, I'm like, this is really going to put the thumb to like, Chase and Wells Fargo and those sorts of people, because these lenders are now private money lenders that are offering 30 year long term loans to investors that used to just be hard money lenders are really going to take the cake because you you're not buying the property validating, you know, the purchase price based on someone's income. It's on the value and the profitability of the property itself. And that just and, and the interest rates are still so low. They're still like under five, you know, five percent. It's like that is amazing most of my houses have 5% loans that I bought conventionally a few years back with 20% down conventional loans. And now I can get, you know, a non-recourse loan and doesn't even have to, not even based on my own income, but on the profitability of the property. And it's like, whoa, what a world does that open now for people that want to invest in real estate that maybe are an entrepreneur? You know, my sister is, is a YouTuber, and it, you know, she makes good money, a lot of money. You'd be, you'd be like, what? Um, but she can't go buy her own house because it's sporadic, you know. And it's like, how can she go invest in apartments and rental properties and things like that? Because she doesn't have a steady W two job. She's not qualifying for the conventional loans with like Wells Fargo and Chase. So people like you are able to help those people that are solid borrowers, good credit scores. Just the income is not a W two income. And they have the money and they just need different kinds of financing. And I feel like now these like lenders such as yourself are are really um, transforming the lending industry with um, with investors. Yeah, exactly. It lets you scale. And honestly, it doesn't really make sense. Like why banks don't lend to people who do this? Like if they're doing it right, the numbers look good, should be fine, right? right. If anything, charge them a higher interest rate, but they, they don't want to do it because you don't fit into a certain box and then they just let yeah. you go. Um, so what are your plans going forward? Like, what are you going to do now? So right now we are looking for a short-term rental, um, lake house in Arkansas, like I mentioned. Um, and also I'm also have an agent in Florida over in Panama city, Destin 38 area, looking for a condo. I real I love the beach. Like I from California, I miss the beach. Um, but the killer thing, which is not making the sense down there for a short-term rental is the HOA fees for these beach condo complexes. OMG, seven to $900 a month for, for HOA. But why? <laughs> well, so I know why. So a lot of these high rise complexes, there's hardly any low rise ones. So all the high rises have these, they're like resorts. They have these beautiful pools, like multiple pools or tropical paradises with like water parks for kids. You know, they've, they've got Starbucks in them, beach cabana guys. So it's like resort status. And so that costs money. Um, and a lot of these, um, so one issue, another issue is that a lot of these high rise complexes, since the majority of them are short term rentals. They don't qualify for conventional financing. They're um, 
they're non-conforming or there's there's some word is escaping me at the moment. You probably know. Um, non-warranted. There we go. The condo complexes are non-warranted. And so I can't get a regular loan. So I have to go to a special guy who will provide financing on non-warranted condos. So the interest rates are higher. They want, you know, 25% down. And initially these were going to be my second home and I was going to be able to put uh, 10% down as a second home get owner-occupied interest rates and all that. Well, not so much now with the beach condos because they're all non-warranted, so that's not going to work. And the HOA fees are $7,900 a month just for HOA. So even properties that are under, you know, that are three to $400,000 that gross $40,000 a year, I'm still paying out of pocket $10,000 a year with a gross mm -hmm. of $40,000 a year to own it. I mean, what? So I'm not finding anything that makes sense. <laughs> You know, I feel like now the people that are down there buying these condos are people that just have tons of money and are just looking to park it somewhere and they're just buying these condos all cash and they're getting some return. So why, why don't you just buy like a single family property uh, down there? Those areas? Yeah. Um, because of the hurricanes and uh, I, I'm not I don't live locally to go board up my property every year when a hurricane comes through. And that's really my biggest thing. And whether you pay through your wind insurance, you know, through the condo complex, which is part of the HOA fee. If you're not doing that and you have like a townhome or, you know, a small condo, like a couple story condo, you know, somewhere off the beach or a house, your insurance is very expensive because of the hurricanes. It's yeah. wind insurance. And so that also makes it kind of scary. I mean, we've been evacuated twice on beach vacations down there in the past five years. So uh, I'm just like, I don't think I need to worry about a house that's floor level. That's definitely going to get wiped out by water. I mean, I just want something high up that the condo complex is going to take care of if there's a hurricane. Makes sense. I mean, I own some properties in Florida as well. And at the time I thought, oh, it's a sunny sunshine area. I've been to Disney World a couple of times. Yeah. Like, it's not bad. And then of course, like after I bought it, we had like five hurricanes in a row that were all <laughs> what, like what city what area it's in jacksonville florida jacksonville so okay florida. that's a really yeah. popular area for rental properties yeah i mean similar statistics you know sub one hundred thousand dollars per unit and yeah and what if, pretty good. is there hurricanes over there or no of course yeah, yeah. crazy hurricanes almost every single year you have and to every year it's like house. oh the next i mean we don't have to board it honestly i don't know i mean like i don't deal with that stuff i have a yeah. property manager that handles everything yeah and the tenants inside uh i guess they board it up i have no idea yeah Oh, um, so scary. <laughs> the, the only thing that happened to me, though, luckily, is that uh, one time a hurricane passed through and it filled up my septic tank. So I had to like do an early pump. But that's it. I mean, yeah, it's not that's not too bad. No, no. Um, you, you, know, you hear stories about like houses getting like destroyed. Oh, or, yeah. Like, well, roofs getting wiped yeah. off. Yeah. <laughs> Mexico City Beach a few years ago was just wiped out. And I'm like, well, good thing we didn't buy anything over there. You, mm. <laughs> you know, and that was in Florida off by the Panama City in the Pan or Panhandle area. Yeah. So, um, yes, I, but I know that's just, again, see, that's one of my fears that I have because of the unknown, because I'm, I'm not experienced in beach condos because I'm scared. And my real estate agents like Casey, everybody out here has houses. Everyone out here boards them up. Don't worry. A property manager will help you with that. So it's like, it's something I shouldn't be scared of, but I am. And again, we're really risk averse and I've been evacuated twice on vacation in the past five years. So I'm like, ah, I don't know about, yeah. about something right on the beach. It's funny because it goes back to the initial question of like why most people don't start investing in the first place. They're scared. scared. They don't know of the unknown, right? So even us, like we're more experienced in the field, we still have fears and right. the unknown. Yeah. Uh, now, what about Memphis itself? Like I've heard that Memphis is a super, super hot market. A lot of people love going there, especially Californians, right? A lot of people from California are buying in Memphis. 
Um, there's this huge turnkey company in Memphis as well. What are your thoughts about Memphis and continue to invest there? I think Memphis is great. Um, I miss California, but as far as rental properties, Memphis is great. It's not just Memphis. There are a lot of outlying cities that are amazing to invest in outside of just Memphis. Memphis is a massive city. I will tell you that. But there are other cities. There's Cordova. There's Bartlett. There's, you know, um, those are the ones right next to Memphis. But there's so many that are have good investment opportunities. Um, prices have skyrocketed just like everywhere else. But again, on the other hand, interest rates have also gone down, you know, compared to a couple of years ago. So it almost balances out um, as far as your cash flow. So we're, so for example, today I could buy $175,000 property and cash flow the same as if I would have bought the same property three years ago for $120,000 because the interest rates are different. So I could afford more now. And that's also inflation, which also is um, really impacting the economy right now. Um, everything is going up, including housing prices. So buy something now. So it's going to get worse, in my opinion. Um, so overall, Memphis is a good place to invest. Um, there's a lot of jobs here. We just got a um, northern Mississippi, which is just 15 minutes away from Memphis, just got a new, um, new Amazon facility, which uh, employed, I don't know, thousands of people. So there's tons of job opportunities. There's a huge revitalization going on in certain parts of Memphis. Um, housing prices are still low. There are people ask all the time about multifamily and there are no really no small two to four plex units out in Memphis. Um, you won't really find that in my opinion out in the Mid-South because there was so much land when they started building, there was no need to build duplexes you know, triplexes and fourplexes. You weren't trying to squeeze anybody in. Like, um, so it was just a bunch of urban sprawl and a bunch of houses. So there's no small multifamily, really. Um, there is a couple, but you don't want to buy those, those $10,000 duplexes. You don't want that. Um, but there are apartments and things like that and larger units you can buy um, for commercial. Um, but I would say I have students that want to invest here. It's a good market. Um, it is street by street. So, um, you know, one side of the street might have no crime and the other street might have a lot of crime on the other side. So it's crazy. Um, I, coming from California, it's not like that. It's it's city by city area. I mean, every city has a little street. Maybe that's kind of bad. But overall, um, you can kind of tell this is a good area. This is a good area. Well, in Memphis, it's street by street. So and that's the way it is in a lot of the Mid-South. It's street by street. So you have to make sure you're doing your due diligence on the crime and the schools and making sure you're checking all those ratings. And if um, like I know in Indianapolis, most of the schools are like a one and a two rating. They're pretty bad. But there's no other options. It's not like you can go to the school down the street and it's a rated a four. So there's no choice there. And so that is what it is. But in Memphis, you'll have schools that are rated one, two, three, four, five, six all around each other. And you definitely don't, you definitely want to be in the area that's going to create the most rental demand and the highest rental prices. So being in a, a better area with a better school rating is going to set you up for the most success in the long run. Um, so things like that you need to look out for crime and types of crime too. If there's a shooting, lots of shootings, you don't want that, but there's lots of maybe car thefts, fine. You know, you got to pick your poison and everyone's got a different risk factor. Um, my risk factor is I don't want D-class properties and I don't want shootings on every corner. Yes, there's been shootings in front of my house, my, one of my rental properties before my tenant never even said anything to me. I, I found out about it because my mother-in-law told me about it because she's like nosy and she like snoops on everything. So I think she has all of our property addresses like on some 
internet thing that alerts her every time, every time something goes on in the area. So just, Did you know there's a shooting right in front of so-and-so's house? I'm like, oh my gosh, really? So, uh, but anyways, knowing the types of crime and being comfortable with that are keys in Memphis, as well as uh, making sure you're in a, a good school area. If there are choices around you, you want to be in the better option. That's crazy. So you could be driving to a, a property that's nice, but on the way there, you can see like a lot of weird, sketchy stuff. Oh yeah. There are a million dollar <laughs> houses right next to like $80,000 houses. What? <laughs> yeah. And I yep. guess there's no changing that, right? Maybe slowly over time it gets better, but. Maybe. I mean, you know, there's some things on Memphis I don't like, um, but it changes. You know, like there's grass sometimes growing in the sidewalks and the power lines hang down low sometimes when in certain parts of the city. It's like, to me, that's ugly. But but to most people, like that's normal. That's how they grew up. That's the city. And they're fine with it. So I've got to be fine with it. And when you're investing out of state, you know, you can't look at where you're investing from the perspective of where you live, especially if you live in, an, you know, a really nice area. If you live in a California beach city, if you live in Newport Beach and you want to go invest in Memphis and you look at there, you're like, oh, my God, I'm not going to buy anything there. That place looks like a dump. Well, it does to you. You live in Newport Beach. But these people that live in Memphis have lived there their whole lives and they pay will pay you a thousand dollars a month in rent and they'll be good tenants. So. You just you can't look at it from the perspective of your own life situation. You have to look at it from the perspective of the life situations for people that live there and have been living there and have grown up there and then pick the best area out of that area. Um, and you have to look at it from that perspective. Yeah. And then going back to what we were saying before with your Florida agent, you know, people who live there, people, there are single family homes in these areas like get hurricanes and floods and people live there. They're used to it. That's right. I talked to someone on Instagram. Someone messaged me um, who lives in Florida. I was like, oh, if you ever need any help finding a place and whatever she said, somewhere, somewhere like not anywhere near where I want to invest, let me know. Um, and so I was talking to her on Instagram and she was telling me and she was then asking me about Memphis and I was talking to her about, you know, insurance and, you know, all the fixed expenses. And she's like, that's all insurances. I'm like, yeah, it's like 80 bucks a month for a house for, in, for insurance. She's like, what? She's like, I thought everything was like, you know, crazy, like $8,000 a year for a house like it is in Florida. So she's so used to these expensive insurance rates, but it's not like that out here. So it's normal for them down there. Yeah, absolutely. This has been an awesome conversation. Casey, do you have any last tips for our listeners before we end our show today? Sure. Um, I would love to talk to anyone who is interested in learning more about rental properties. And you guys can find me on Instagram. It's Brick by Brick Wealth. And if you are interested in learning more, I do have a free seven-day mini course um, called Retire Your 9 to 5 with Rental Properties. And you can find that on my website, brickbybrickwealth.com, or also it's in my bio link on Instagram. Well, Casey, thank you so much for being on the show today. It's a pleasure having you on. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can find the show notes and other episodes on our site, everythingrei.com slash podcast. If you live in the Bay Area, join our meetup group, where we meet up twice a month in San Jose at meetup.com slash everythingrei. And if you thought this was a great episode, let me know what your key takeaway was and share it with a friend who's interested in real estate investing. Thanks and have a great day. This was another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. If you enjoyed the show, leave us a five-star rating. It will only take a second and it'll help a lot. You can contact me at sean at everythingrei.com. That's S-E-A-N at everythingrei.com. Thanks and have a great day.